So here we are gathered as a community around Psalm 42, and I love Psalm 42. I love the Psalms as a whole, the entire book, 150 Psalms. But I love Psalm 42 because it's an example of something that we've mentioned now a few times, that we are invited as God's people, as individuals and corporately to worship him. When we echo these words, not once, but twice in the psalm, and that's emphasis. It's called parallelism, and that's how the Hebrews uh, drew out emphasis in their writing. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? We shouldn't over-spiritualize these words. We shouldn't make light of these words. Can you imagine someone really crying these words out. Can you imagine yourself perhaps earlier this day, week, or month in front of the mirror doing so? Have you ever had one of those days? One of those seasons of downcastness and brokenness? Or weeks? Because days is kind of easy, but what about weeks and what about years? Melancholy, brokenness, hurt, painfulness, depression, spiritual depression. These are big issues among us. These things can be chemical, there's, there's no doubt. I don't want to downplay that as a reality for some. But they are often, often situational, often circumstantial, and often beyond that, just within us. Our own expectations of how things should be are thwarted. And then we realize things are not that way. Our soul is downcast, or our fear our false identities, the things that we grieve, and when we grieve, but without hope. These things cause our soul to be downcast. And yet here is Psalm 42 that invites us, when our head is bowed, to come before a great and holy God who promises to lift our heads. The Psalms, our series in the Psalms is gospel rhythms, right? And by the way, we only have one of these books left. We're selling them for 10 bucks. But if you haven't gotten a copy yet, you can buy this one later. This is a devotional in the Psalms that we're just inviting the church to read together throughout this year. It's really, really good. And each day is short. It's one page with the scripture, the Devo, and the prayer. Devo is what you say if you were like a youth group kid in the 90s, okay? Um, but the reason I love this is because by the end of the year, you have read the entire book of Psalms if you've worked through this book. Gospel rhythms. It's so important to build into our lives a rhythm of the gospel. Why? Because in real life, there are downcast days and seasons. And God wants to take us through the normal rhythms of the Christian life, which isn't just like this ultimate camp high every day. But it's going from downcast to doused in his grace and mercy to then dare to, to move, to go out into the world as broken but made beautiful by the Savior Share that message. You guys have been seeing me promote on Facebook the Bible Project. I love the Bible Project. I can almost stop right here. Just go watch everything that is on that YouTube channel. Bible Project. Okay, they've got a great little read-through scripture deal on the Psalms. It's nine minutes long. It is the best nine minutes you've spent in a long time. And one of the things that they're talking about here, and scholars comment on this frequently, that the Psalms is one book, 150 poems, but it is one book. Psalm 1 and 2 are sort of the prologue, and then the last five Psalms, 46 through 150, I'm sorry, 146 through 150, are sort of an epilogue. And within what you have is you have this journey 
which mirrors our normal lives, ups and downs, this journey of tension. Tension between lament and praise, joy and downfall, happiness and downcast souls. But across that tension, what happens? As God continues to reveal his faithfulness in the lives of individuals and the nation of Israel, his people, praise rises. And so the faith of the book of Psalms is like our faith as Christians. It is forward-looking to the hope that we have in God. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, he says to himself. He demands of himself. He preaches the gospel to himself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my rock. So why are you downcast? What makes your soul go downcast? Why are you downcast today or have you been recently? Why is your soul downcast? You should be, by the way. Uh, but you shouldn't be. So let's read Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water. Ah, you remember this one. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Condemnation against all the false idols of the ancient Near East. This God is alive. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Taunted by his enemies, verse 4, these things I will remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God and with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. He's talking about worship toward the temple in Jerusalem. He's expressing his distance from God. None of you guys have ever felt distant from God, but this guy did. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise in my salvation and my rock. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls and your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. Oh, praise the Lord for that verse. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, notice this, how beautiful is this tension, worship. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy. And with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? feels distant from the Lord and he feels overcome by enemies. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, the living and the true word that is living because the power of the Holy Spirit makes these words to be a scalpel which does surgery upon our hearts. So do that, we pray. Convict us of our sin individually and corporately. Convict us of our pride. Convict us of our laziness. And yet help us, Lord, for there are days and weeks and months and even years where we are downcast and we cannot seem to get ourselves out of the pit. Help us to do this, to preach the good news to ourselves, to hope in you, Lord. 
What other hope do we have if we're honest? What other hope do we have? Not money, not fame, not possessions. Not any other human relationship can satisfy the deepest longings in our soul, only you. So we come to you now asking for strength that we might hope in you. Bring your hope to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to go over just a couple points in our psalm today. First, our longing, then honest questions, core memories, and not easy answers. So let's jump into our longing. The psalm is very honest about our longing, like a, a parched deer. Can you imagine wandering in the forest looking for water? I was thinking about this the other day. Not only do most of us have access to clean water all the time when we want it, but you have more than access to clean water. I mean, you can actually drink water from the tap in your house. But we're so, we're on this level that we're like, I just don't like the tap water. It's gross. You know, give me that weird glass bottle one. You guys know what I'm talking about. And most of us, some of us, you, you actually go out and you buy purified water. They're like a million landfills full of our plastic bottles because we care about the earth. And, you know, because we can actually go out and buy purified water. And many of us have never known what it's like to really thirst, except maybe on a hot day here in, in Phoenix when you haven't had water in a long time. But we know what it's like to thirst for things that we need, things that we believe will sustain our lives. And what we see at the outset of this psalm is that his prayer his thirsting and his longing. It's not just a simple, oh, I kind of want this. It's an issue of survival. He is longing for that which he needs, that which will satisfy. He is longing for what is better than what is broken. Look around. I mean, the brokenness is all around us. I need to be a little bit careful here, but I won't be. This glorious reality TV show known as presidential debates. I actually have a friend, a dear friend, who's... I think he's kind of an agnostic now. He's moved a little bit from atheist to agnostic. He actually, he, he's got all these funny snarky posts about how, uh, you know, the presidential election every four years is his favorite reality TV show. He'll even forsake watching The Bachelor so he can watch that. And I don't want to disrespect the office or our call to pray for our leaders. But simply this, you look at the candidates and you're like, why can't, where's just the one that lines up with the stuff I want? I kept thinking, you know, if Rand Paul and Bernie Sanders had a baby, and that baby loved justice, then maybe I would, maybe I would find the guy who would meet all my needs. But guess what? There is no guy that's going to meet your needs, because politicians are horrible messiahs. That's what we long for. We see the brokenness around us, and that's what we long for. Freedom and justice together. And human beings actually working toward those things together, not out of suspicion or fear or anger or compulsion, but freely. What motivates the psalmist lament? We already said his distance from God. He remembers when he was in Jerusalem and the very real presence of his enemies, be, there, be they external or the voices of accusation in his head. The fact is he feels alone, separated from worship and subject to taunts. We feel that way frequently. We look around and we see the brokenness of the world. We have these longings that well up within us. We often come back to loneliness and helplessness because what can we do? What can we do to change the people that we love? If our son or our daughter or our wife or our husband or our friend, if they would just be this way, we'd be okay. The psalmist wants to be near to God. He wants to have victory. 
He wants God's presence, and he wants God's victory over his enemies. This is the tension, the now and not yet longing for the kingdom to come. It's good motivation, but what frustrates the psalmist? It's not going to happen this side of heaven. East of Eden, that's where we live, east of Eden, there's light and shadow. There's beauty and ashes. And notice what we see here in the, the title, Psalm 42. You might have noticed, I don't know if your Bible has it, mine does, but there's a big thing at the top that says, Book 2, right? So there's five major books in the psalm, Psalms. Out of 150 psalms, five books, how do we know this? Each book ends with this refrain, doxological refrain that is the same at the end of each, this sentence of praise. When we look at book two, we can make this observation. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Not exactly sure who the sons of Korah were, and nobody really knows what a mascal is. But we know it's a term used in liturgy. It was a term that was used to direct the choir in their singing of this psalm. So here's what's important. This cry for help, this longing, this yearning. It's not merely individual. We live in a time of deep individualism, consumerism, right? Oh, that's not meeting my needs right now, so I'm going to bounce. We've lost loyalty. We've lost commitment. And we should be careful, because to lose those things is to lose the very steadfast love of God, committed, deep love that isn't just based on how we feel at any given moment. This is a corporate struggle. This is a together cry for help. This is a longing that we are supposed to do together. And so the challenge here for each of us is this. And whatever your longings are and your weakness and your brokenness, you're, you're not just coming to church to just check your list. Okay, great, I went to church. Awesome, I heard the gospel. That really helped me. Well, if you were very helped by it, and in fact, if you're in a state of feeling very helped and very joyful and good, then God has brought you here precisely so that you might be helped to help others. Our struggle is corporate, and that's also good news. The psalm asks honest questions. We rightly come to God with all of our wives. Some of you guys have some really challenging, okay, because we have this sort of abstract, right? The problem of evil. Okay, good. The problem of pain in the world. That's true, that's real, that many of you, in fact, most of you in your own lives have an example that for you is very real. And I just want to encourage you, boldly, boldly in the gospel, come to God angry, frustrated, sad, upset, feeling forgotten, and scream out your deepest why, O oh Lord. This isn't merely a, a toddler fit. I was joking recently about not what, I mean, my kid didn't have a fit, but some other person's kid did. I was thinking to myself, I have no idea what the reason is that you're upset. Use your words, but you're not. I have no idea why you're upset. And even if I did know those reasons, I'm, I'm pretty sure they might not be the best reasons. This isn't a toddler fit. It's not just an irrational meltdown. And by the way, adults have those too. But that's not what's going on here. This is the psalmist acknowledging the reality that life is often very difficult from within his own perspective. So, you know, we do this thing. Well, okay, I'm not over there in that part of the world facing all of those difficulties. So, man, I, it's really not that bad for me. Okay, on, on one hand, sure, if we put everything on a scale, 
Maybe it's not. But on the other hand, what you're suffering through is, in a very real sense, challenging and difficult for you. And so often in our suffering, what happens, right? When it rains, it pours. There's this spiral. One bad thing happens. Before you know it, you look up and there's ten bad things that happen. Murphy's Law. Trouble can seem like it's all around us, in us. I was choking with Caitlin the other night. I'm getting into the shower and I'm like fumbling over myself. And I stubbed my toe on my own other toe. So I was doing like one of these, like, you know, hit my toe. I literally stubbed my toe on my other toe. And I was like, really, Lord? That's the level of clumsy that I've, I've reached at this point in my life. I'm, I'm going to stub my toe, not on, you know, a toy or the side of the bathtub, but on my other toe. That's how our suffering seems to us at times. And so we have to come to God with the why, with these honest questions. But here's what happens. When we ask the why, when we ask the honest questions, a couple things happen. First of all, we are situated then within a proper understanding of who we are. Yes, the world is broken. And who should we blame? The world, the devil, but also the flesh. It's us. The problem of pain, the problem of suffering, the problem of injustice. It's within us. We must own our own sinfulness. When we do that, what does the world say? Well, just medicate yourself. Man. We talked about it last week. Retail therapy. Go out and buy something. Go out and drink something. Go out and do something. Someone. Anything. Take your mind off it. Escape. The world medicates. Jesus heals. We can only be healed when we understand that we're sick in need of a great physician. These honest questions of why also come out of our situations, as I said. Tears at our enemies outside of us, our circumstances and situations. What are some things that cause you to scream out why? Perhaps it's money. Don't have enough of it. Maybe you just have way too much of it. You have way too much money and you're just sad because you don't know what to do. Come talk to me and I can, I can help you know what God's will for you is. What about marriage? Marriage is one that can often cause us to go, Lord, where are you, man? I'm screwing up. I can't understand this other person. We're trying our best. It's really difficult. Seems to be more fighting than agreeing. What am I doing wrong? What are they doing wrong? In fact, Lord, I'm just going to pray for them to get fixed because that's what you would want for them. And then all will be well. What about kids or a family member? Kids is hard. I mean, if you're a grown adult in this room with grown-up kids, you know just the challenge of wanting what's best for your kids, but yet they're not robots. They make their own decisions. The pain in childbearing doesn't just end after labor. It goes on, it seems, for all of life. So much of this boils down to our expectations and feeling like the grass might be greener on the other side. And it is greener because you haven't gone over there yet to stand upon it and defecate on it. But also, the why question springs out of our own soul. It's us, it's outside of us, and it's within us. A dark night of the soul. I, you know, <laughs> I find myself often, and perhaps it's just because I'm a little happy millennial kid who has all my issues of thinking I should be a CEO when I was 22. But so often I find that my downcast soul doesn't actually, when I focus on the downcastness of my soul, it just leads to more, more navel-gazing, more inwardness, more feeling bad about myself, more pity parties. They interviewed this, this monk, saw this in Business Insider, 
Why would it be in Business Insider? I do not know. But they interviewed this monk, supposedly one of the happiest men on earth. I said, what, what is it that makes you so happy? And it's just going to be like this simple Bible thing. He goes, you know what? I spend 20 minutes every morning when I wake up giving thanks for all I have. And throughout the day, I say the word me less in my mind. And I try to think about others more. That was it. Secret to success. And he spawned on me. So these three perspectives, who we are, what's around us, and what's within us, these things cause us to ask why. Could be many other things. But the point of the psalm isn't just for us to analyze our own hearts and stop with that. It's to remind us that every why is an opportunity to look to a savior. Here's what I love about this. It's not cheesy at all. It's not just the Sunday school, Jesus is the right answer. Because do you know that Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Savior of the universe, cried out to God, his Father, and asked, why? <coughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At his point of greatest weakness, at his point of greatest feeling abandoned and forgotten, the Lord Jesus cried out to God, why? And he cried out the greatest and the loudest and the most honest, why? So that when we cry that same why, we can still know that we are not abandoned, we are not forsaken, we are loved. God knows you. He sees you. He sees where you are downcast. He sees where you are hurting. He sees where you have need, where you are prideful and lazy, where you want control, where things are good and where things are bad. He sees it all. And he sees all of those whys and he doesn't say, don't come to me with that. Because I'm God, so get right and then you can come. No, because of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who cried out himself, why on the cross? We can come in our deepest moments of downcast. And these must be our core memories. This must be what we remember most. Of course, there are reasons for us to ask why, but what can we do about it? We can hope in God. We can remember him. Remember his faithfulness in Jesus Christ to forgive and cleanse all sin. Remember his steadfast love, that is covenant love. That is the promise that God has made with himself to keep his covenant of grace. Abraham was put to sleep so that God himself could walk through the animals and sign this contract in his own blood, the blood of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He made this promise to himself for his people, and he will not lose one. Not one. No matter how downcast. No matter how many wives. This week I posted that great short little clip by D.A. Carson, that funny little Canadian man. You must go watch it on the book face, all right, or wherever you can find it. D.A. Carson talks about how the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, silences the accuser. There's one Jew going, yeah, I feel pretty good, you know, about the Passover. Did everything right. Put the blood on the doorpost. I did everything at the meal. I'm so excited. Passover, it's so great. I'd love to do this. And then the other Jew goes, yeah, you know, I'm really struggling this year with Passover, man. Just lost someone I love, just lost a job, just feeling horrible, just in a funk and can't get out of it, just, you know, whatever. Not feeling great about it. But, okay, yeah, blood on the doorpost, got the spotless lamb. And the point of the illustration is simple. Which of those two goes home protected, forgiven, justified? They both do. The one who was doing everything right 
and the one who was downcast, frustrated, and doubting. They both go home justified because the blood of the lamb silences the, the accuser. In every single one of his accusations, in your mind, you're not enough. Your faith isn't strong enough. You're a fake. It's not real. It's only a phase. You're not going to be able to do it. You're going to die. It's all going to be over. The world's going to fall apart. You guys hear this stuff in your own minds all the time. The blood of the lamb silences the accuser. So remember his faithfulness. Remember his purpose. That even in loss, he creates ears that are ready to hear. This week, I'll be doing the memorial for Stanley Kohler. Lived on my block. He died at 92 years old. And I befriended his 60-year-old son. He's my mechanic. I met with the siblings this week. They told me amazing stories about their dad. But you know what they said? It still hurts. It still hurts. We know he was 92. We know he lived a full life. It still really hurts. Will you pray for us? Will you tell your church to pray for us? And then the sister, Joyce, I love this. She turns to her brother, my mechanic Stan, and she goes, Do you know you're saved? And I'm sitting there like, oh, okay, you know, maybe the family should just have some time right now to, to talk. And she wasn't calling him out in a weird way. She was lovingly just saying, this loss has been an opportunity for us in our downcastness to remember what really matters. It's not dad's house. It's not dad's stuff. It's not all of our squabbles as siblings. It's that we are made for an eternity with Jesus. And if dad were here, that is what he would want us to know. Remember him in his promise. Yes, we have to own our sin. When we repent of our sin, we turn away from it. But dare you think it's in your own strength? He is turning you, and not turning you from your sin to nothing, but turning you like a child crouched against the wall, tears of shame. The Father is turning you that you might be embraced by him. You must own your sin, yes, but he owns you. And that is why the psalmist says, at night he is my song. Preach the gospel to yourself. And so then these are our not easy answers. Hope in God. Dave Bennett gave me this one this week. Light shines through when I reveal my brokenness. When you're honest and vulnerable, when your cracks are exposed, then light shines through. And maybe that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Maybe there's enough cracks being developed within you so that his light can shine through, so that what people are seeing on the other side isn't the blackness of your brokenness, but a glorious mosaic of God's light through your cracks, painting a picture of his faithfulness and the gospel. Hope in God. This hope is honest, active, and outward. It's honest. We must wrestle with our faith. I stole this one from my wife. Wrestle by faith, with our faith. We wrestle with God, and that's what the psalm is telling us to do, and to keep wrestling, keep crying out. But it's the same stuff, dude. You don't understand. Oh, but I do. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go get a coffee later. We'll talk, okay? It's the same stuff I've been dealing with for years. That's right, because it's deep. And God is untangling it. And it's painful to be untangled. It takes a long time. But keep crying out. He will never leave you or forsake you. One commentator put it this way. As Psalm 42 becomes our song, it fosters a sense of yearning and expectation. He will save us. He will help us. We learn to attend to God's worship, looking for God's presence. Not in miraculous feelings or temporary highs 
but in the constant assurance of his presence through his promises. We mourn any circumstance in our life that would prevent us coming to God, and we count his presence and attendance with us in worship as a great gift. Earlier as the band was practicing and I was singing those songs, I just reminded myself, I need this every week. I need to come and sing these songs and pray these prayers and hear this gospel with you all. I was talking to some of the kiddos earlier confessing their faith in Jesus who will be coming to the Lord's table tonight for the first time and just remembering as I'm talking to them, like every week the Lord invites us to this feast so that we can do this work of remembering and hoping in God. This hope must also be active. A little cartoon I read this week. Guy was asking, Dad was asking his kids, did you clean your room? They came back to him a half an hour later, did you clean your room? Well, we thought about cleaning our room. Oh, did you? Good. Yeah, and then we got a group of people together and we discussed what it's like to clean a room. Hypothetically speaking. And then, you know, he's basically talking about what Christians do all the time, right? Did you do what God has called you to do? Well, we had a Bible study about it. We prayed about it in our closet, far away from anyone else. And the point of the cartoon was this. Man, you, you can't say you cleaned your room if all you did was had a committee talk about what it means to clean the room. You actually have to do the work of cleaning the room. We have to do the work that God has called us to do. And it's such a weird thing because in doing this, he lifts our soul. And it's so difficult to do because when you are downcast, the last thing you want to do is be around people or be doing what God has called you to do. And yet that is exactly what God has told us will be what he uses, his ordinary means, to lift our head. feel downcast, we just want to isolate ourselves. What happens when we do that? Satan takes us into the garden for 40 days and 40 nights and whispers all manner of hellish lies to us. But you're not Jesus. You can't survive that time in the garden by yourself, okay? You can't go out into the desert and be attacked by the devil alone for 40 days and 40 nights because you are not Jesus. You need to be with God's people. You need to be around those who can help you when your head is too heavy for you to lift on your own. Lift it for you. The hell with the lies of the devil. We need a gospeling community. Because doing the work of the gospel community, this is a balm to our soul. And lastly, hope is outward. Hoping outwardly means our questions bear fruit. They bear the fruit of finding the needy and the downcast who have no hope. They grieve, but without any hope. We grieve, but have the hope of the gospel. This week I was reminded about a dear sister in our congregation who did something that I just love. In our neighborhood, there's this big Facebook message board, okay? She found out that someone on the message board that she didn't even really know was pregnant, had a baby. And your version of this might not be a Facebook message board, so you just apply it to whatever your version is. Well, she decided, I'm going to throw together some meals for this lady that I don't even know. And all of a sudden, a bunch of other ladies she didn't even know came out of the woodwork to help provide meals for this other lady who just had a baby that she didn't even know. And before you know it, with a little bit of time and ingenuity, this dear sister had provided in a very real way food for a couple that needed help after having a baby. She didn't even know who they were. This is a clinic in the kind of love and outreach that those of us whose head has been lifted are called to bring to the world. Find your version of that and do that. Go to a hurting world with true hope. Because our hope and our identity, it's not in having a happy spouse that we can make happy all the time. Because you can't. If you make them your idol, they will fail you. You will fail them. It won't work. Your kids will fail you. They're bad idols. Your job, trust me, I feel the temptation to be 
pastor man all day. Because, I mean, for most of you guys, for all of us, right, your job, it's like you, you could get it, you could lose it. It's not a guarantee. Well, I've got this weird thing that I've got to be super spiritual if I want to keep my job. All the time. Oh, how easy it is to fall into that false identity, that false self. But no, we are not to hope in those things. But in Jesus alone, and when we hope in Jesus alone, then he shapes us and forms us into the people that we're supposed to be in our lives, in our families, and in our vocations. So let us embrace the tension of Psalm 42. Lament and praise, moving more and more, ever so slowly sometimes, toward praise. Let us embrace the tension of our soul being downcast, but demanding of our soul that it hope in God, even as God commands over us his steadfast love. And being bound up in our wounds, let us go find and serve the wounded. Let us go lift the heads of those whose heads are too heavy for them to lift on their own. But as God sends us from here, there might be those whose eyes are fixed, not in their navel, but on the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this psalm. Thank you that we can sing it and remember that when our enemies assail us and when we feel distant from your house of worship and temple of praise, when we're not near to your presence, it seems, when accusations come to us strongly, when the vile accuser roars against us of all the sins that we have done, God, we know even more than what he accuses us of, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ, you knoweth none. So we are united to you, Lord Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God the Father, to bring your kingdom, to bring back the garden someday, the new heavens and the new earth. This is our hope. This is where we are going and help us in this now and not yet state to fight with your strength and in the hope of you for all the things that matter. That in our downcast and brokenness, when our soul hangs low and when our faith is weak, we wouldn't trust in chariots or horses or in our own strength, but in the object of our faith, the blood of the Lamb, silences the accuser. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.